After nearly seven long months, it appears our long national nightmare is close to being over. Yes, the end of this week signals the virtual end to the college football offseason. By the end of Friday, pretty much every team will have reported for the beginning of fall camp. Perhaps more importantly, though, there will be a college or NFL game broadcast for consumption every single week until Super Bowl Sunday in early February. Alas, the best time of the year is almost upon us. When it comes to OU's camp, Lee and I will be going as in-depth as we can in the coming show about what to pay attention to during fall camp. But as a primer, here's a sampling of what I'll be looking for. Number one, health. Notable injuries recently in fall camp include Addison Gums last season and Rodney Anderson in 2016. Of course, the most famous of all would probably be Jermaine Gresham in 2009, just a few days before the season opener. There's nothing quite like the deflating feeling of a prominent player going down before they can assert themselves on the field. There are three position groups in my estimation that had better stay healthy. They are the offensive line, the defensive line, and linebackers. If any perceived starter goes down from that group in camp, the depth just isn't there for there not to be a significant drop-off. Number two, the safeties. DeLaren Turner-Yell and Patrick Fields were the starters all throughout spring practice, but it's possible that injuries played a factor there. Will Robert Barnes reemerge after being mauled by Josh Jacobs in the Orange Bowl? Will Jordan Parker finally put together a healthy season and live up to the expectations he set in the 2016 freshman season? Will Chance Sylvie recover in time to be a significant contributor? Is Justin Broyles not long for the OU world? This is a position that has the potential to be a disaster for the Sooners this season. A good fall camp could go a long way to making sure that doesn't happen. And number three, Jalen Redmond. He really has the potential to be a game-changing talent for this defense. He won't turn the entire thing around by himself, but there's some pundits who are underrating the impact a twitchy athletic pass rusher can have on the fortunes of the defense. You saw in 2018 that OU could not replace the impact that Obo Okoronko had in 2017. Redmond's ceiling is much higher. The last thing that offensive coaches want to do is game plan around blocking a singular guy. Lincoln Riley mentioned at Big 12 Media Days that Alabama's Quinnen Williams disrupted a ton of what they wanted to do simply because they always needed two offensive linemen to account for him. A healthy, effective trio of Redmond, Neville Gallimore, and Ronnie Perkins has a potential to be a real concern for offensive coordinators in the league. Do not discount that. All of that and more will be discussed in the upcoming episode. The fall camp preview is coming up. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. First down play for the Sooners. Inside McKinley, roaming free. Look at him, touchdown bird. McKinley races in for his third touchdown of the game. We head back to November 23rd, 1990 for this week's intro. OU fullback Mike McKinley rumbled 48 yards for his third touchdown of the day as the Sooners smoked Nebraska 45-10 in Norman. McKinley played four seasons at Oklahoma. 1990 was his best year as he rushed for 534 yards and six touchdowns. He wore number 31 as a Sooner. This episode is out on July 31st. Boom. Makes sense. Hey, everybody. I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the top of the show with the opening take. And in fact, 
Don't want to waste any time in this one. Let's bring back in Grant to talk about fall practice, which begins this Saturday. Grant, in a way, it's our final podcast of the summer, even though uh, it still is summertime, as I can attest to, because it's like 100 degrees in Oklahoma. Well, it's actually funny that you bring that up, because I was going to start my little monologue here at the beginning by saying it is a beautiful day in the Twin Cities of Minnesota today, about 75 degrees, not a cloud in the sky. (laughs) This morning, Lee, it was in the mid-50s, and it felt like a crisp fall morning. Hmm. And it just, it just, it just kind of felt like a sign. Felt like a sign. A sign that football season is nearing. We got fall camp. We got NFL training camps opening up. By the way, hot take of the week segment is coming back. Uh, we had a, a bit of it last week with that Fort Worth Star Telegram column. This time we bring back our old friend Colin Cowherd. So we will have him and his hot take at the end of the show. Looking forward to that. That should be fun. But before that, though, we have plenty of fall camp storylines to get to. With OU Media Day coming up on Friday, this Friday, August the 2nd, uh, then practice will begin the next day. Uh, The first time cameras will be allowed at practice will be next Monday, August the 5th, and I will plan on being there for that practice. So um, with fall camp beginning this week, you and I have some questions to answer, Grant. And I think we should just jump right into the first topic. Here's the first question I have for you, and I guess this is for all of us, uh, but I don't know. We'll just we'll start here. So from now, uh, now until week one, we got eh, like four-ish weeks or so. If you can just cover one storyline in fall camp, or not necessarily, I guess in fall camp starting, yeah, one fall camp storyline, and you can only pick one from now until week one, which would it be? Let's uh let's game theory this out a little bit because I just I need you to be a little more specific. Are we talking about like in g- generalities here? Are we talking about like ultra specific? Because I can yeah, I, I can I, mean, I, like, I can go either most, way. What's the most interesting thing about fall camp that you're going to be like every time there's news or every time there's something out you're going to be like looking for that thing? Like you want sure. an update on that? Okay, I mean, so what what gets you going? Like if you if you couldn't get any other news on Oklahoma fall camp, but you can only get news on one particular storyline, what would it be? Well, I mean, I think everyone is going to go to what Alex Grinch is doing with the defense, but I will get ultra-specific, and I alluded to it a little bit in my opening take, Lee, but the one thing that I think that is mostly going to perk my ears up over the course of fall camp is anytime Jalen Redmond is mentioned. I want to know about Jalen Redmond because I think he is that potentially important to the defense this season. I like that, and I thought about going with that as well. Uh, but since we've talked about Redmond so much this summer, I decided to to move away from it and be a little different. I got reserves, though, too. Okay, I'm not surprised that you do. Uh, I only have one. And it's obviously the defense is the one you kind of alluded to that a second ago. But we're going to try to be a little more specific, so I, I appreciate that. So my one storyline that I'm going to be following, that if I had to pick one, it's going to be the development of the Oklahoma secondary and fall camp. And Grant, remember back in March when spring ball was going on and Alex Grinch made us all kind of do a double take when he talked about how the secondary was pretty thin and that the depth is just not where it needs to be at Oklahoma. That was kind of a, an eye-opening moment. Do you remember? I'm sure you do remember that. Of course I do. And of course, and, it, and then of course in the opening take, I go and reel off like six different safeties that are on the roster and who have played 
like really significant minutes for OU. So I still think that was kind of, I mean, I still think that was a little over the top from him, but he also could have easily been commenting on just the quality of depth that they have there as well. And that's the thing, because I think he mostly meant that there was players out. I mean, like, for example, Robert Barnes didn't practice in the spring. And I know there's there's some other secondary players that had bumps and bruises and missed some time that aren't readily coming to my mind right now. But I think that was the main part is that he just didn't have a whole lot of depth because there was people sitting out. But yeah, maybe subconsciously he was mentioning all of that because the talent wasn't quite where he thought. And that's just you and I kind of maybe reading between the lines or just guessing. Um, so here's so that's kind of my main thing because because of this. I mean, Alex Grinch, and we've talked about this a little bit before, but I mean, he's a secondary guy. I mean, he's a defensive back guy. I mean, he coaches the safeties. He played safety at Mountain Union when he was in college. I trust that he knows what he's looking for for players in the secondary, and I trust that he knows the best way to coach those guys. However, I have to admit that it's a blind trust at this point because the previous regime just looks so poor at teaching technique and developing defensive backs because it was so bad before Grinch. I think we have nothing, we have no choice but to kind of blindly trust Alex Grinch and then hopefully Roy Manning. That's kind of the way I feel about that when it comes to the secondary. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I could definitely push back on that a little bit. I mean, do you really just want to blindly trust them? I sometimes like to put myself in like the shoes of another fan base. So like, for instance, well, as of right now, yeah, I mean, without absence, any other information. Sure. Yeah, because all I know is that let's say let's put the shoes on the other foot. Let's say Texas had all the success that OU had and their defense was was really terrible, as bad as as OU's was last year. I wouldn't be thinking that them just switching defensive coordinators would just magically, you know, flip that switch. I would think they're probably still going to suck pretty bad. So, I don't know. I'm still trying to. I'm still trying to be kind of realistic with it. I I don't know if it's going to be. I, based off what we've seen, I don't. I you know, I don't think there is any quick fix there. And I, I think I think this is a good coaching staff, but at the same time, just kind of blindly trusting that it's all going to work out. I'm not. I feel like I've been burned a little too much in the last decade or so, and I'm, I'm not quite there. Okay, well, so it, it's good to clarify this. That's not what I'm saying. That Just because I'm saying I'm blindly trusting doesn't mean that I assume that things are going to be good. Just because, you, can be, just because you use the direct quote, blindly trust. <laughs> well, at this time, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden the secondary is going to be awesome. I just, right now, again, absence, any other information, we haven't seen them playing real games yet and his track record I think that yeah maybe Alex Grinch has a better idea of how to coach these guys up and maybe put them in better situations than the previous regime I mean Kerry Cooks was in charge of the entire secondary during his four years at Oklahoma he didn't have a cornerbacks coach he, he had to coach everybody up uh, and you know I mentioned that Grinch played defensive back and he's a secondary kind of guy played safeties well I mean Kerry Cooks also played defensive back when he played and that experience didn't really seem to help a whole lot when it came to Oklahoma secondary because that's part of the defense has been one of the worst in college football in the recent years. And I think the best individual example that we can give when it comes to players that just didn't pan out is Jordan Thomas, because what was he pretty, he was really good in 2015. Right. And that was back kind of before I was really paying attention the 2015 season. And then in 2016 and 2017, he regressed massively and he lost his starting job in 2017 to Trey Norwood. 
Yeah, Jordan Thomas essentially had really bad seasons three to the three of the four years he was at OU. He was kind of thrown to the thrown into the fire his freshman year in 2014 and did not turn out very well. And then he was he was probably the best the best defensive back on the team in 2015 over the course of the season. Um, and then you know was was below average to bad in 2016, and then 2017 was was borderline atrocious. Yeah, and again he lost his job that year. So I mean. I'm not saying that I think they're all of a sudden going to be really good because of Alex Grinch, because will he be able to whip this group into shape? Yeah, I don't have any idea, but I'd like to think that he's got some good players to work with. I mean, and we've talked about this a million times. I mean, there's multiple four-star recruits in the secondary, and guys like Buki and Robert Barnes were five stars, according to at least one recruiting service. So, I mean, is there a world where, I mean... <laughs> Is there a world where both of those guys actually aren't even starting come week one? Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, anything is possible with this Oklahoma, uh, OU secondary, and that's why I'm just incredibly interested in the development of this secondary, and that's why I'm selecting that as my my number one storyline that I'll be looking out for this this fall camp. Anything else you want to add on this or Jalen Redman before we get to the next sure. question? No, I mean, a, a lot of the stuff that I really pay attention to during fall camp is just the progress of the new guys, essentially, or guys that, that haven't seen the field a lot. So, you know, some other dudes that, I'm, that are always going to sort of pique my, or, you know, pique my interest would be um, freshman edge rusher David Igwebu. There's some, there's some pretty decent buzz coming from him um, kind of this summer. Uh, same, I, I'm really interested in Marcus Hicks as well. Because he certainly has the size to contribute right away, uh, but he was going against really small dudes in high school, pretty pretty low level uh, Wichita high school football. Um, but he's a guy who looks who looks to be you know, maybe an elite athlete, guy who definitely has the body to contribute. I'm going to be really checking in on updates for him. Oh, and, and of course, also the young guys in the secondary, more you know Jeremiah Cradell, Woody Washington, Jaden Davis. Um, it's always good to get new blood in there, especially with how bad the defense has been. And, um, I don't know. I, I just, it's crazy how everything is on one side of the ball. I just like, I, whenever the OU offense comes up in, in terms of, of discussion topics this summer, I kind of yawn a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's it, being hyperbolic, than, but it's different than it was last year. I mean, cause there are question marks obviously surrounding the quarterback spot. And not who's going to play quarterback, but what will we get out of J- uh, out of Jalen Hurts? And speaking of that, that's the next question I have for you. The next topic on this uh, pre-fall camp podcast. When is Lincoln Riley going to say that Jalen Hurts is a starting quarterback? And yes, I'm again, we're jumping to the conclusion. Jalen Hurts is going to win this job. It's not going to be Tanner Mordecai. It's just a, it's a formality at this point. But the question is, though, when will he make that decision? Do you have any... Any theories, any thoughts on when it's going to happen? Uh, when was it last year? Wasn't it game week last week, last year? Not quite, no. Was it, or was it like two it, weeks before? It was about a week and a half before. It was okay. 10 days before the game against FAU. Okay, so probably right around then again, or when they come out with that little depth chart reveal that they've been doing the last couple years. That's when they'll do it, maybe. Yeah, I... I got to say, I got to give a lot of credit to Lincoln Riley for successfully kicking the can down the road yet again with a quarterback competition. I mean, I was willing to buy Kyler Murray versus Austin Kendall a season ago, but as we've discussed multiple times, not so much with Jalen Hurts versus Tanner Mordecai, especially after the spring game. You know, remember back in spring, he 
Riley, that is, he hinted that once he sees separation at that position, that there's not going to be any reason to kind of prolong who's going to start or not. And that kind of made me think that, you know, maybe he's going to make the the call for Hertz following the spring game. But then that didn't happen. You know, maybe there was a shot that Riley was going to name that starter at media days. But then we found out that Jalen Hurts wasn't going to be invited to media days. So that theory was was out the window. That wasn't going to happen. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it's difficult to see Riley naming Hurts the starter in the first week of camp because, I mean, he's waited this long. Why would he do it that quickly? So, you know, what's another three, four weeks? And and I even I, mean, I did a little more research. You know, Murray was 10 days before the first game last year. Think back, okay, there was one other quarterback competition involving Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, and that was in his first season in 2015 when Baker Mayfield was named the starting quarterback. Obviously, Bob Stoops was the head coach. But I'm sure that Lincoln Riley had a lot of say in when that was going to happen. And do you have any guesses as to when Mayfield was named the starting quarterback back in 2015, Grant? Do you remember? Yeah, I think. I mean, it was it was like a week before the first game. I thought it was eleven days okay. before game one. There you go. So I think, yeah, and, and that's, I'm, I'm sensing a trend. Yeah, as I say, I think that's probably on purpose. They probably have their own like game week routine and stuff like that, and they probably thought they they needed to around that time is when they need to know so they can start game planning properly. Mm-hmm. You know, probably. So with that, I think it'll be you know probably a week and a half before the first game. Yeah, and I'll go even more specific for you because I looked at Oklahoma's media schedule for August because Mike Calc sends that out. They'll use SID. So the Sooners have a scheduled media availability for the offensive players on Tuesday, August the 20th. Then Lincoln Riley is scheduled to talk on his uh, for his final fall camp availability on uh, that Friday, which is August 23rd. So, you know, I can kind of see him waiting until the 23rd to announce the decision, but... Probably not. I mean, that'd be eight days before the Houston game, and I don't know why that he you know need to wait that long. So I'm gonna bet that the announcement comes either on Tuesday or Wednesday of that week, either the 20th or the 21st. That's what I'm gonna put my my money on. Hot take. Yeah. But yeah, right. I think I, I think that's that's probably right. I I would be I'd be pretty surprised if it's if it's pretty soon into fall camp. Um. I don't know, like the, the earliest that I think is maybe feasible is, is maybe two weeks uh, from when fall camp starts. Because by then, they've probably had about 10 or 11 practices. Um, you can see what they've been working on in the summer, how well they gel with the other guys on the team. And I mean, Jalen Hurts is going to be the starting quarterback. It's just, it's all about sort of that, sort of that game that Lincoln Riley wants to play and when he thinks that the competition level has gotten to the point where it, it, he's ready to make a call. So... You know, I, it, it's not something, like I said, whenever the offense comes up, I, I you know, I kind of yawn a little bit. And this is kind of right in there. I mean, we're, we're not going to know anything really about Jalen Hurts until we see him against Houston or against everyone, anyone else on the schedule. So really, he's going to be sort of a kind of an afterthought for me during, you know, during fall camp. Because to me, he's entrenched. He's the starter. Mm-hmm. So unless he gets hurt, I, I expect Jalen Hurts to, to be, you know, not not quite or not a lot of news over the course of fall camp yeah that's fair all right let's go on to the next question to to ponder to answer who is your number one breakout candidate on the team from the the pool of players on Oklahoma who has been on the team who is entering either their first year on the roster 
or their second year on the roster? I want you to go first on this one. All right. So I'm asking for one, but like you, I kind of had some backups. So I'm asking you to for- go first because, yeah, I, I don't, uh, don't want to say the same thing as you. All right, so I have an offensive player, and I have actually a couple defensive players. So I'll start my offensive player, and I've talked about him a little bit already in previous podcasts. But my, uh, my breakout player on offense is Braden Willis. And I believe – I think this is his second – I may have just bungled this off the bat because now I'm like second-guessing myself. Is this his third year on the roster? No, this Am is his I- second. Second. Okay, I couldn't remember – all right, so I was already just starting to doubt. He's my, a true. Uh, <laughs> he's a true sophomore. He um he played he played a lot of special teams last year. <laughs> okay, and he had that one catch against Baylor. Yeah. So so I'm gonna go Braden Willis on offense. We know that Carson Meyer owned that H back spot last year, and obviously Dimitri Flowers owned it the previous years. But now it's Willis's turn to shine at that spot. He was he switched positions from tight end to the H back spot. And I know Jeremiah Hall is there as well, and he's going to get a lot of play too. Uh, but I'm going to go with Willis just because he's got a ton of talent. I love his size. I put him on that preseason All Big Twelve team as the fullback, and so I'm just kind of sticking to my guns right now. So I'm going to go Braden Willis as the offensive breakout player. Did you have? Uh, oh, also just one more note. I I do remember thinking back to the the spring Lincoln Riley man. He was. He was really pumped and excited about this H-back spot. And not just Willis, but also Jeremiah Hall. So I can't imagine that's, that's not going to continue into the fall. Do you want me to keep going into defense? No, actually, let, I mean, because we have multiple, we might as well just go, go offense and defense. Um, and so Braden Willis was, was a guy that I had in mind as well. And I think if we're going to be fair, we could throw Jeremiah Hall in there as well. He's a guy, Lee, who when when he had action last year, he looked pretty good. Looked pretty good. Yeah. Um, so it wouldn't, I, I think we're going to see, you know, we're at least going to see a bit of him this year. And that may be, that may be one, one position where the, where the battle continues into the, into the season because you got Braden Willis, who just moved there in the spring. You got Jeremiah Hall who's in his third year in the program now and has been playing that position the entire time. Uh, so he's going to have a bit of a head start there. Um, but having that been said, Jeremiah Hall is not is not my my breakout candidate from the offense. Lee Mine would actually be, and uh, you know, I mean, this isn't this isn't going to be a you know a new name for anybody, but a guy who really has only had one prominent event so far in his OU career. Lee, my guy is Charleston Rambo. Oh, I think okay. he's going to have a really good season. I think it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's the number two receiver on this team. That's a good one. Yeah, I mean. He obviously shined in the Orange Bowl, and he is incredibly fast. It's just it's one of those things where you don't think about him a whole lot because of all the other talented receivers on this roster now. Yeah, and so, and you know yeah. they have and you know two of those guys that they have coming back who are who are really legitimate receiving threats are at the tight end position, and I think a lot of people generally forget about that. But you know Calcaterra and Morris there at that position that's that is nothing to sneeze at at all and and I'm mostly mm-hmm. referring to Lee Morris there if you guys have listened to this podcast you know that that Lee and I are are very big fans of Lee Morris the guy is is underrated as hell before we go on to the defense real quick I just thought of this how about this for a hot take when it comes to the H back and the running back positions what if there's a scenario where Braden Willis ends up being really good at the H-back, and maybe Hall is too, but maybe Oklahoma needs a little more depth at running back. Maybe some of the younger guys aren't coming along. Maybe uh, TJ Pledger isn't quite the guy. And Lincoln Riley says, you know what? I'm going to shift over Jeremiah Hall. He's going to be one of my running backs 
for depth and then Braden Willis takes over full time as the H back because I say that because think back to the spring game Jeremiah Hall was a a bell cow running back in the spring game and he handled himself just fine <laughs> so based on the experience just a hot take right there what if that happens this year I I find that really you know no yeah I don't think so I think I, I think it's, it would require all the young Oklahoma running backs that are coming up to just not be quite ready yet. Yeah, that means... And and Riley wouldn't trust them. Yeah, that would mean... Because in this scenario, you're assuming that that Sermon or Brooks go down the either. Either of them do. Yeah. Or they just... Or or maybe Pledger just isn't quite getting it done as that third kind of depth running back. And you got to think, too, there's there's TJ Pledger there. There's also Marcus Major there. Another guy that a lot of people are forgetting about who I actually think is going to be the number three back this year, which is Ramondre Stevenson. Um, Mm -hmm. So... Um, no, I, I, I think it's, I think it's more likely that we, that we see like big heavy packages from OU that feature both Hall and Willis and are like short yardage packages for, for Jalen Hurts. I think that's more likely. All right. So on defense for uh, a breakout player that's in his first or second year in the program, we might have the same guy here, but I actually have a couple guys just to keep it, keep it moving. But my main guy is Deshaun White and we know he's going to start at will linebacker now that Caleb Kelly's injured I mean is there a world where Deshaun White actually starts at Mike Backer over Kenneth Murray probably not you've talked about no that's no it's I I, that would have been something that we saw in the spring and Kenneth Kenneth Murray was at was at middle the entire spring they're not just they're not going to secretly flip them around during the no I know that's yeah I mean that's that's message board fan wish fulfillment that's not going to (laughs) happen White got good reviews in the spring, uh, and he basically just he's he's got to be good if Oklahoma's defense is going to be respectable or solid. He's got to be good, and so I I think he is a breakout candidate. And uh, I'm going to assume that do you have more than one person, or do you just have Deshaun White? Yeah, Deshaun White was my guy too, just because I I think this this is so blatantly obvious that it's hard not to go to him. Um, I think I think it's pretty likely we're going to see over the course of the season that Deshaun White's the best linebacker on the team. Um, and, and, you know, if you're close to OU football, that statement's not going to surprise you. So, no. I mean, the guys, it's, um, whenever I he was, I hope that's the case. Cause I mean, nothing against Kenneth Murray. I mean, Murray is still, I mean, he's his third year. So I mean, he's got experience. He's not going to be terrible. Obviously he's going to be a serviceable player probably. But if that means if white's better than him, I mean, that's not a bad thing. Exactly. So, so I'm trying to think like real, real quickly. I have another one in mind, but I'm going to save him for, for another uh for another question we have another topic so, okay yeah well, my other let's say yeah my other player that uh that that kind of jumps out at me a little bit is safety Patrick Fields and he's another defensive player that's young I mean Alex Grinch seems to like him a lot he was a starter in the spring he's already played a bunch of snaps in a college football playoff game against Alabama he had I think eight tackles in that game I like that he Comes from Tulsa Union, a big school, obviously. He was a good player there, obviously good enough to get recruited to Oklahoma. But he wasn't a four- or five-star guy. He was a three-star player, so maybe somewhat overlooked. And he's had to prove himself over and over again probably throughout his life, especially coming coming up at a school like Union where you're not going to be immediately the starter unless you're just an all-world type player. There's so many kids that go to that school. I mean, you gotta you got to work your way up. you got to beat guys out to become a, a main player a main starter at a school like that so he kind of knows what it's like to be at a, at a big school 
maybe a little fish in a big pond, and he's had to prove himself over and over again, and he got Oklahoma's attention last year, the coaching staff's attention, and made a name for himself and got to the point where he was playing tons of snaps down the stretch in some of the biggest games of the year. And again, I think this new regime, this new coaching staff likes him. So I think he's a player that could end up being a starter come week one and could be a pretty nice safety for Oklahoma. And I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how he progresses. Yeah, I like that call. And also, if you want to if you want to look towards the the true freshman guys in the secondary, I, I think it's it just it just makes sense to look to the guys who are coming from probably the two best high school programs in the country. Uh, Cradell from uh, where's he from, Lee? Uh, Cheese. Uh, Matter Day. Matter Day. Thank you. And then Jane. And then Jane Davis from St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, that's th- those are the two guys you probably need to to look at for maybe early on to be the guys who are just because they're coming from those programs. That's that's like a college like program and how they run things. So they might just be able to pick things up a lot quicker than everyone else. All right. Next topic. And we have. I mean like five or six more of these questions. So we're trying to, to load you up on some good pre-fall camp talk here. Aside from defense, aside from a bad defense, which is certainly a possibility again this year for Oklahoma, aside from that, Grant, what is your biggest concern for what could prevent Oklahoma from reaching the Sooners' you know, top potential this year? The offensive line not gelling and struggling. Um, I think that would that is – it's a possibility. I have, you know – it's been it's been a while since OU's offensive line has just been a total debacle. Um, really, ever since Bill Bedenbo has been there, it's it's been it's been good to outstanding. So, but also, you know, when you're when you're replacing four starters, all guys who got drafted into the NFL, it'd be a little naive to not expect some sort of drop off, right? Um, right. Having right. that been said, you know, I think I think the offensive line is probably going to show some show some cracks early on, which is why I'm glad they don't have the 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 most insanely difficult schedule in September. It's slightly challenging, but not insanely difficult. Um, but that that could all that could always be you know something that derails your season. Go to the early part of the 2000s, the the two down years they had in the 2000s, in 2005 and 2009. You can almost directly point to the offensive line being in shambles for the reason they had uh, such difficult seasons those years. Um, I'm trying to think of what was the toughest year they had in the offensive line recently. It was probably 2015, and they went to the playoff that season. So, you know, but they've just they've been outstanding really ever since then. So. Um, and you got a lot of really talented guys coming in. I, I, I certainly could envision the offensive line struggling early on. So um, I hope that it wouldn't extend to the rest of the year. But, of course, that's always where you have to look at injuries and just kind of keep your fingers crossed that the injury bug stays away from the offensive line. Yeah, the offensive line is my second biggest concern. I thought about saying the offensive line, but truthfully, I trust Bill Bedenboe with my life at this point. Let's be honest. Um, so yeah, and I mean, plus this, there's, this is a dude. There's tons who, of talent there. This is a dude who threw out Deontay Savage and Derek Farniak as starters in the 2013 Sugar Bowl against Alabama and put up like 600 yards and 45 points. So, I mean, yeah, Bill Bedenboe mm-hmm. is about as close to a miracle worker on the offensive line that you can get in college football. Yeah, and you mix that with this the talent there. I know they just lost NFL guys, but they've been recruiting really well at that. At, at these positions so uh you throw that in there plus it also it obviously helps to have creed humphrey manning the middle that that's a huge thing so 
Offensive line is my secondary concern. My biggest concern is connected to the offensive line. It's quarterback. And, you know, although I am high on Jalen Hurts along with Lincoln Riley and in this system with this talented supporting cast, I, I'm also afraid that we're going to be reminded over and over again this fall that the past four seasons of Oklahoma football have featured truly elite quarterback play. And I'm just concerned that my high expectations for Hertz, along with you know Lincoln Riley, or basically because of Lincoln Riley, just it just do not come to fruition. And I mean, I'm not expecting Hertz to look like Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield out there, but I'm expecting him to be better than he has been in college up to this point. I mean, putting up better numbers than he did at Alabama, things like that, just because he's in a better situation than he has been previously. So my main concern is is quarterback. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I, I could envision a scenario where Hertz is just not great. But at the same time, I, I, I don't think the, the personnel he's working with is, is any worse than what he was, you know, than what he was working with at Alabama for the two years he was the primary starter. In fact, you could argue maybe it's better and that, you know, it's probably a wash, to be honest with you, in terms of talent. And Alabama's offense was really good both of those years still. So mm-hmm. it, it wasn't, it wasn't on, on the level of OU, but it was still elite of the elite top 10 in college football all right moving on we have one two three four or five more questions to go and I know you kind of roll your eyes when the offense comes up so I was trying to find ways to to touch on the offense that are unique and slightly different I don't know if this is interesting or not but we're going to throw it out there Grant when it comes to the Oklahoma offense what is the weakest part of the Oklahoma offense going into 2019 I mean it's obviously the offensive line but let's just get a little more specific because we just talked about that um I will go you know position specific I think it's left tackle right now um Eric Swenson the presumed starter right there it kind of makes me nervous a little bit uh makes me a little nervous so it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if that's if that's kind of like another Jonathan Alvarez situation where Bill Biedenboe gives just kind of deference to the to the older guy, and then someone else takes takes over his spot. I just hope it doesn't cost him a game. Um, okay. Yeah, but also yeah, good I mean, on you. but also Eric Swenson. It's not like it's not like Eric Swenson is a scrub or anything. This was a guy who was a who was a four star recruit. Um, he's a guy that a lot of people wanted. So I mean, I could see a scenario where you know where he comes in and he's he's good and he's fine. Uh, but at and the if same, you want a sunshine. But say if you want to sunshine pump it even more, he's had to play behind all these NFL guys that just he could be good. It's just he's sure. not as good as some of these NFL guys. Sure. But maybe he's still pretty good. And also to sunshine pump again, um, I thought left tackle was probably the weakest part of OU's offense last year as well. I thought Bobby Evans was clearly the weak link of the offensive line, and which is funny to say because he was drafted in the third round. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he was obviously very good. I mean, they won the the Moore Award, so uh yeah I mean it's I thought this would be an interesting question going in uh you know because the offense is so good but yeah it's it's not as compelling as I thought it'd be good on you for having a very specific position you're looking at I you know the answer is either the offensive line or the quarterback uh and Oklahoma's not necessarily weak at those spots I mean it's just they're just kind of weaker than the others because you look at running back yeah I think they're pretty good there got a lot of depth there got some talent there yeah running back I think I you know I, mean, I I don't think it's hyperbolic to say I think I think Brooks and Sermon is the best one two punch in college football. Yeah, they, they I mean, complement each other nearly perfectly. 
Yeah, you certainly I mean, I'm sure other fan bases could probably argue with that, but that's it's definitely a, a defensible position. Obviously the pass catchers, wide receivers, tight ends, I mean, maybe the the best in the nation. No, probably most is. certainly not. It's Alabama. But um but really? it's up there. Oh God, yeah, it's definitely Alabama. But who's oh, uh, replacing Irv Smith this year? A tight end. Oh, I don't know, but they have they have four they, their top four receivers are all back. Oh, all right. And I think and I think they probably had the best receiving core in the country last year, too. It's, okay. I mean, it's well. definitely it's it's not it's Alabama and it's not even close. But having that okay. been said, I think I think OU is is in is in, you know, conversation with Clemson for the second best receiving core. I mean, point being though, yeah. I mean, look at the H backs. I mean, they got depth there now too. I mean, everything's good except for, you know, like the quarterback question marks with Jalen Hurts obviously and then you got the offensive line so I mean but you did a good job of being more specific Um, just so yeah let's uh, just to back it up you know my Alabama take with facts I mean they they returned Jerry Judy who is the Blitnikoff winner they returned Jalen Waddell who is going to be a sophomore and was their second leading receiver last year they also returned Henry uh, Henry Ruggs the third who um, I know a lot of NFL draft people like, and he made a lot of plays last season. And they returned Devontae Smith, who has made plays. He caught the game-winning touchdown in their national championship game a couple years ago. So, I mean, they, yeah, they, have, pretty good. they have everybody back. That's, that's pretty good. That's, that Alabama receiving core is one of the best returning receiving cores ever in, in college football history. Do they have a quarterback to get, them the, uh, get those guys the ball, though? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, think that's that, always a problem with Alabama. I think I think they're going to be okay in that regard this year. Yeah, yeah, I do too. All right, so the next question we have to uh, to get to these are some of the questions that you thought of. So all the stuff that we just went over, I kind of thought of that stuff, but you've thought of some other good ones too. Uh, actually, since you thought of these questions, do you want to lead us into it then? Sure, Lee. What's the one position that OU just cannot afford an injury with during fall camp? And I actually want you. I want you to try to be specific with the position here. So, um, like, you could just say offensive line, that's fine. But if, if you can, try to be specific. And I won't, I, won't, I won't make you go, like, strong safety or free safety. You can just say, like, safety. But w- w- what would you say? Oh, I mean, I am incredibly specific on this one. And I was kind of thinking that we, you and I would have the same exact answer to this question. But my answer is Creed Humphrey at center. Is that your answer too? Um, yeah, it, it was gonna be <laughs> yeah Creed Humphrey, and then uh, the backup there would be would be Gallimore. You would think. Yeah, that's good too. Or honestly, just, or maybe Deshaun White too would really really hurt. I just don't know enough. I don't know enough about the linebackers and the depth at linebacker, and the defense has already been so bad. It's like yeah, I mean it. Whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen on defense, but yeah, I mean that's yeah, sure that's fine. Uh, but the reason for I go with Creed, and, I'll, and obviously I'll give my reason, and then you can give yours. It might be kind of the same thing. It's just, you know, he wasn't there in the spring, so they already missed that time with him in the spring. With I mean, he was around practice, but he wasn't practicing because of the hand injury. You know, and that forced Jalen Hurts to work with a bunch of players that had limited experience and also, more specifically, limited starting experience. So now that we're about a month or so away from a real game, I think Humphrey's presence playing in that huddle and and every single rep is just so incredibly valuable and as a guy I mean I love his confidence he's super easygoing he's a leader he leads by example and I think the rest of the Oklahoma offensive line a lot of those players that don't have don't have much experience they're going to lean on him and Jalen Hurts is going to lean on him too and he's one of the best players on the team and what does Lincoln Riley he said that he thinks that her 
Humphrey's the best offensive lineman on the team and maybe one of the best offensive linemen in the country. So it's it's no secret that his presence going through and, and being available is just incredibly crucial to this Oklahoma team, not just the offensive line, but the team in general. Sure. And, you know, it's always a cliche, but the center, it, you know, a lot of people say is the quarterback of the offensive line. And that's true. He's got to make the calls. He's got to make he's got to make a lot of checks and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Humphrey going down would would suck. And you don't even mention because there's really no one behind him that we know of. Um, I mean, I figured it'd probably be R.J. It'd Proctor. be Proctor in, in all likelihood, in, but also it's not like he's insanely experienced at center. I mean, he's played that position before. Yeah, he but was more of a he played guard at Virginia. I yeah, think, the last yeah, but it's, he's not ins- he's not yeah. insanely experienced. I mean, it's it's nice to have yeah. him in case case Creed go does go down. But yeah, I mean that that would that would just really suck. That that would be a a, a very catastrophic injury for OU. And the reason why I throw Gallimore out there is just because. Right now, there's no depth on the defensive line whatsoever. They just don't have that any. we know of. That, that we, we know. Of. That we know of. Unless <laughs> maybe a bunch of these uh, new true freshmen that are getting on campus yeah. are going to be awesome. <laughs> unless guys that we're not thinking about, like I'm trying to think here, like like Zach McKinney or oh who else? Um, I mean Marcus Hicks. Marcus Hicks maybe. Um, uh, who's the Troy James is also one yeah. that we haven't heard anything about. But I because we haven't heard anything about him, I just I don't. I don't know how much they're going to contribute. And then other mm-hmm. like defensive ends I'm thinking about like Isaiah Thomas is one that comes to mind. Like I don't I mean in terms of defensive ends right now, I mean who do they have right now who's healthy other than Ronnie Perkins and Isaiah Thomas and Laron Stokes? Yeah, uh let's see. Is Marcus Stripling a defensive end? They're Stripling, but he's a true freshman. You never know what you're going to yeah. get with, you know, it's Especially on the defensive, I mean, defensive line is the, is the most difficult position to come in right away and play. Except, except maybe uh, all along the op, all along the line of scrimmage is tough for freshmen to come in. Yeah, that's true. There's some big boys up there. Got to grow up fast. All right, what's the next question you have? Of the presumed starters, who would you be least surprised to see lose their job in camp, Lee? So for me, I think this has got to be somebody on the defense and likely in the secondary, although I will say you made a good point earlier bringing up Swinson. So, I mean, you, I don't know if you're going to use Swinson as yours, but no, I might. Okay. So, I mean, that's that's definitely a guy that, I mean, who knows, could could uh, lose his job. But for me, uh, yeah, de- I think it's defense, probably in the secondary. And I'm going to go with Buki. Uh, I think, I mean, Grinch, we all know he prefers the bigger secondary players and at 5'9 180 Buki incredibly undersized we all know that that was no secret last year too that was a a concern with him he had his starting job usurped at the end of last season so he's already been replaced by the previous staff once granted I'm sure that when Grinch came in he everybody got a clean slate which is perfectly fair that's what you expect but as of today I just I'm gonna go with him as my guy and Part of me, I'm not going to say this because it's not going to happen. I, I mean, it's not going to happen that, I mean, Kenneth Murray's not going to lose his starting job. I mean, he he's the preseason All-Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Just, I, I just, and honestly, that kind of feels mean because you keep piling on him. I just hope he comes out and makes us all look stupid and has an awesome year. But uh, I'm going to go with Buki for mine. Maybe slightly surprising to some of you out there. Grant, who do you go with? Yeah. So originally I was going to say, originally I was going to say, because he's not even really going to participate in fall camp that we know of, I was going to say Kenneth Mann, but I don't know in this scheme if he is a starter. I think that's probably Ronnie Perkins starting at that position 
just anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I will go with actual, like, you know, a realistic thing here. And so, you know, Parnell Motley losing his job to Trey Norwood wouldn't surprise me. Um, and then also probably, like, Pat Fields losing his job to Robert Barnes, you know. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. Oh, right. sh- it wouldn't shock me. I think it's kind of weird that we haven't talked about Robert Barnes at all, and it's because everyone just assumes that he's just not going to stay healthy. I mean, that's right. that's the whole idea behind it. But no, I mean, would it surprise me if, like, you know, a week before before the first game when they when they do the little depth chart reveal, would it surprise me if Robert Barnes is starting and Patrick Fields isn't? No, of course not. Okay. Yeah, and you're basing that off of the spring when Alex Grinch said that his starters, if they had to play a game tomorrow, was at safety was uh, Fields and Delarian Turner yell, right? Yeah, yeah. Is there anyone on anyone like on offense? No. I just, I couldn't think of anybody on offense. I the mean, only- the Swinson one's pretty good, but I just don't know much about the offensive line. I think it's pretty open. I know we've made our predictions on who's going to start there. But uh That's why the skill position stuff like that. Yeah. That's why yeah, I said I the know. presumed starters. Then, so if I had to go to the offensive line, you brought up Swinson and that's right. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Swinson's not a starter. Um, just a, a little more like um, as something that's maybe a little more up in the air. Like it wouldn't shock me if someone like Tyrus Thompson, you know, isn't starting. Um, and uh, R.J. Proctor is something like that. It wouldn't surprise me if R.J. Proctor is starting somewhere on the offensive line. Wait, who's Tyrus? Thompson? Oh, not Tyrus Thompson. Oh, my God. Did I really just do that? Who's, yeah, who's that? <laughs> You talking about Tyrese Robinson? I'm thinking about Tyrese Robinson. Okay. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the two different names you just kind of combine there. And what about Michael Thompson? What's going to happen with him? I wonder Nothing. if he's going to play at all. He's he's, he's played offensive line for for 4 months. He's not going to play this yeah. year. I mean, yeah, he, he will. Line, that, that group is that group is so interesting. Tyrese Thompson and Tyrese Robinson mixed up. I love it. <laughs> that was going to it was going to happen eventually. I'll be I'll be totally honest with you. Ever since they signed Tyrese Robinson, there has been a constant battle in my head with him and Tyrus Thompson. Ugh. Am I am I out to lunch? Is Tyrus Thompson somebody? Oh Is yeah, he a Lee, yeah. This was play for Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I I I apologize for Lee's ignorance, everybody. But I don't even know who that is. Like, nah, he was a uh, he he started uh, in um, uh, 2012, 2013, and 2014. Yep. If I was off the grid during those years, um, maybe all right, not 2012. So, maybe that was Lane Johnson. He w- he was a guy in 13 and 14, though. He was drafted by the uh, by the Vikings, I believe. Hmm. All right, we got one more question left. It's an offense and a defense question. Oh yeah, that's right. What I'm reading it? these, aren't I? Okay, <laughs> that's the plan. <laughs> Lee, what player on defense are you personally hoping takes the next step? And becomes a really good player. I want you. I want just a full-on homer pick. Who's a guy that you're really rooting for on the defense to take that next step? Well, aside from Neville Gallimore, who I'm hoping becomes just a comical force inside and becomes one of the best defensive linemen, not just the Big Twelve, but the entire country. But aside from Neville, I got to go with my man Robert Barnes. I mean, months ago I predicted that he was going to be a good nickel in this defense, and that prediction is looking just terrible right now. And so I think one thing that Barnes has going for him, though, is his size that we know Alex Grinch likes. He's 6'2", 207, but it's not like a broken record. Can he stay healthy? And unfortunately, the answer to that question so far when he's been at Oklahoma has been no. So my guy is Robert Barnes. 
who I'd love to take a big step this year and play and have a nice role. How about you? Lee, I'm going to stay at the safety position. I'm going to go with my guy, Delarin Turner Yell. Uh, we're both going with our guys, our yeah. guys in the secondary. I just really like DTY. I really like him. I, I, I think he is going to be a guy who starts this season. Um, I think we're going to see him in the box quite a bit this year. He's going to be a guy who comes up and, and, and is going to fill a lot in the run game, I think. Yeah, it seems like the coaching staff really likes both him and Patrick Field. So that's a good one. There's a, there's a good chance that happens. And so the next question, the last one is just what about offense? You know, guys that you want to take a big, you know, personally a big homer pick. And so I'll, I'll end here. Or I'll go with my guy. And on offense, it's Jaqueline Crawford, the wide receiver. And he's a type of player that can take the top off of a defense like a Marquise Brown. And we've heard and I've talked to Crawford during the spring and I asked him about Marquise Brown and he wants to model his game after Hollywood he looked really good in the spring game we know he's got a lot of competition there in the wide receiver room so it's going to take a lot for him to kind of make a name for himself but that's a player right there and in that group that I'd love to see break out this fall in that Oklahoma offense so I'm going Jaqueline Crawford Brayden Willis for me I just think he could really unlock a lot of devastation in this offense, especially if they can get the ground game going with him in there as an H-back. Um, the ability of him to just kind of squirt past the linebackers on that little pop pass that Dimitri Flowers was so famous for, um, and then put the ball in his hands with his size and that, his athleticism that Flowers, frankly, lacked. I mean, that that can be just a huge deal for this offense and could it could really maybe add a dimension that we haven't seen yet, and I'm personally really excited about that. I like it. All right, we're trying to keep this podcast nice and tight today, and we might have a decent amount of thoughts on the next segment, so yeah, let's you, get on to it. You know that this next segment could go just totally off the rails. Not off the rails, but you know we're going to get fired up about this one. All right, real quick before we get to that, though, if you're listening this long, probably means you like this podcast. You know that we like to ask you to give us a rating and review on iTunes, but hey, also tell your friends. Tell your friends that are Oklahoma fans your family members that are OU fans that maybe they're not into podcasts. You think, Hey, if you give this a shot, you might enjoy this once a week. Now when the season begins, it'll be twice a week. When we start doing two shows a week, just spread the word. That's the best way for us to get our name out there. We've been doing this now for almost two years. We don't have any sort of uh, big backing from anybody. It's kind of just Grant and I doing our thing. And uh, we'd appreciate you guys spreading the word and all like always, we appreciate the support. All right, so before we get going, uh, get going today, let's do the hot take of the week segment. Our old pal Colin Cowherd had quite the take Monday in regards to Baker Mayfield. Now, every time we talk about Cowherd, I find it necessary to first state that I do like Colin. I think he's really good at his job, and he's my favorite national sports talk radio guy. Been listening to him for years. It's difficult to host a three-hour radio show every single day and continuously come up with takes and be interesting and part of the reason why I think Grant and I are able to put so much time into each episode of West of Everest and try to be as nuanced and interesting as we possibly can is that this show is is once a week not five times a week so if we had to talk every single day I think we'd still do pretty well I think we do all right but I don't you know I think there'd be a little bit more shoddy segments a little more misses in there so uh, before I play the first part of Coward's Take Grant, do you want to have any thoughts? 
thoughts on on Cowher that I maybe didn't mention. No, I think he summed it up pretty well. I've been listening to the guy for a decade. I think he's the best in the world at what he does. So this is, um, but at the same time, you know he he's got some he's got some whoppers. That's for sure. But that's what makes him so great. So um, yeah, we're we're not going to be the 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 hacky type who talks about how how much of like a bum he is. It's no, that's that that's not our bit at all. No, yeah, because he's not. He's really good. He's incredibly talented. And he's got a lot of good takes. It's just his take generally and historically now on Baker Mayfield just has not been correct. And uh, he continues to double down on it. And he's not necessarily doubling down on it with this current take. Uh, but again, I, I love bringing this up because you and I bring this up all the time. He, he always likes to go back to the thing of what's his saying? Uh, people... Uh, just want to be right, but aren't trying to get it right. Is that is exactly. that exactly? And I and this is great because he he really is right about a lot of what he says, which is pretty impressive for a national radio personality. But whenever he is wrong about something, it usually takes him quite a bit to come around to it. And he he, he he's kind of a hypocrite with his own saying. So it's it's great. I, this yes, th- this take is awesome. I, I I cannot wait till we get into this. All right, so this week his take centers around Mayfield versus Deshaun Watson. And the NFL Network voted Baker Mayfield number 50 in their annual top 100 players list. Watson came in at number 51. So essentially almost the same exact ranking. But Cowherd can't believe that Mayfield is ahead of Watson. Here is the first part of Cowherd's take. Baker Mayfield and Deshaun Watson. Now, never forget this. Baker Mayfield comes into the league. He inherits Jarvis Landry, a 90-catch Pro Bowl receiver. He inherits David Njoku, first or second best tight end. He inherits three good running backs. He inherits an offensive guy, Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley, veteran offensive guys. Deshaun Watson comes into the league. He inherits the worst offensive line in the NFL, marginal to below average tight ends. They don't have any running backs of note. And he has one great receiver, which, of course, is always hard to throw to when you're on your arse running for your life. So NFL Network today, Baker's better than Deshaun. So that's the first part of Cowherd's take. Grant, I believe you texted me yesterday upon hearing his thoughts. And you said, quote, saying that Baker Mayfield was drafted into a better situation than Deshaun Watson is certainly a take. End quote. <laughs> so I'll give you the first crack at this one. What you just heard from Cowherd, is that a compelling argument to you? <sighs> All right. Here we go. So first, can I preface this by saying that I think at this point in time in their at this point in time in their career, if you want to take Deshaun Watson over Baker Mayfield, totally defensible if you want. However, I would suggest not not using this line of argument. And so I could easily kind of just sum this up with one with just one fact, which is that Baker Mayfield took over a team that went 0-16 and 1-31 in the previous two years that he was there. In no realm or universe is that a better situation than a team that has won the AFC South three of the last four years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's basically, you're done right there. Yes. I mean, that's like the overarching point, and you've, you've won the argument, but obviously it's more fun to even dive deeper into the details. And so, let's just go point by point here. He says, Baker Mayfield comes into the league and inherits Jarvis Landry. Pretty nice receiver. A good receiver. I would say, 
a good receiver. He's a B, B plus receiver. He's a good receiver. Yeah, he's a good NFL player. DeAndre Hopkins is literally the best wide receiver on planet Earth. What was he, one of five players or something like that to get a 99 in the latest Madden game? Yes. Deshaun Watson throws to the best wide receiver on planet Earth. So there, there, there's point number one. He brings up David Njoku, first or second best tight end. You know what? David Njoku is a nice player. Saying he's the first or second best tight end is patently insane at this point in time. But calling out, you know, Cowherd, he is, like, like you said, he does this five days a week. We'll give him a, a bit of slack for that, I suppose. Hold on, can I add something on yeah, this? Yeah, of course, go. On Njoku, because mm-hmm. you're going to kind of go over some of my points, too. I figure we'll just kind of hit them at the same yeah, time. Yeah, that's that's so, so, yeah, he said, you know, first or second best. I mean, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Zach Ertz, there's three tight ends that are better than David Njoku. Maybe even throw in Eric Ebron. I would but throw only, in Ebron. See, here, here's my point, though. But only if he's playing for the Colts, and that's kind of the point. Because he goes to the Colts, Ebron, and has a career year as one of the best tight ends in the NFL because of Andrew Luck and that offensive system. And um, I'm blanking on the Colts' head coach, Frank, Frank Reich. Reich. Frank Reich. So if Njoku didn't have Baker throwing him the football, would Colin even know who Njoku was? I mean, probably not. And then also, I mean, he's he's forgetting people like, I don't know, like... I suppose Gronk is gone now, but yeah, I mean, I mean, you go over the other list. I mean, like Jared Cook. Nah, I mean, Trey Burton had an OK year, but he's had a, he's a weird thing with the Bears. He, I mean, Austin Hooper in Atlanta. I mean, maybe he's better than Njoku. And then you got the Kyle Rudolphs, who's kind of just been a steady player his whole life. I mean, O.J. Howard might have more. Yeah, I mean, him and him and Njoku are pretty similar talent wise, kind of the same size. I mean, they're both fast. Let's say this. So after, you know. After 13 games playing with Baker Mayfield, David Njoku now has an argument for being a top five NFL or a top five sure. tight end in the league. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay, cool. So continue. So Njoku was one of his points and, and continue. I kind of interrupted you, but keep going. Sure. Your- and, then, and then he says three good running backs. Okay. So And <laughs> that three good running backs, he's including Carlos Hyde, who is in fact a really bad NFL running back. The, Man, the guy has yeah, been he... the guy has been passed around teams for the last four seasons because he's not any good. Nobody wants him. He's such a plotter, man. He Oh boy. Yeah, he's not that good. And and one of the running backs he's including in there is Nick Chubb, who at the time was a rookie who had never taken a snap in the NFL. And the other he's referring to is Duke Johnson, who is a one-trick pony. He's good at catching the ball out of the backfield. Yeah, he uh, he's, he's he's a nice player. Duke and Johnson's so, a nice, he's a decent kind of like role-playing third-down type back. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, so, and having that been said, Deshaun Watson has Lamar Miller. And I know you don't like Lamar Miller, but Lamar Miller yeah, is he's a, not that good. He's, he, he's a valuable player. He is. He's, he's good at catching yeah. the ball out of the backfield, which Man, is good. Lamar Miller's not that good. Okay, well... Nah, he's slow. He's plotter too. He, nah, I don't know. I don't. I don't think he's that good. Okay. Well, his most <laughs> honestly, the the most offensive point he brings up is he he had the temerity and the gall <laughs> to bring up literally the worst head coach in the history of the NFL, Hugh Jackson. I know. I know. This is great. And Todd Haley, the two of which had had issues on camera in hard knocks before the season even started and their issues carried over to the season and got them both fired. 
Not to mention yeah, no. that not to mention that those two guys were the number one and number two head guys, which is for literally the worst professional sports franchise on planet Earth. Or maybe not planet Earth, but certainly in the United States of America. <laughs> yeah, he brings up how he has offensive guys, Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley, which sounds great. And you know what? I was buying into it before the season. I thought that's great that they're going to a spot with Todd Haley, who had success with Ben Roethlisberger and, and Hugh Jackson. Sure, he's a bad head coach, but at least he knows offense. And it ended up being to where those two guys were actually holding Baker back. Like so they obviously as, holding them back. It just you just have to uh, watch the games after after they got fired. Well, yeah, and considering that Freddie Kitchens took over as the offensive coordinator, and Baker had some of the best. He he was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL the last eight games of the season. And granted, I know that you could throw in people will say, yeah, but his, his schedule wasn't as good the last eight eight games, and that's true. I mean, they they didn't play as many winning teams the last eight games. But you know what? What would have happened if he would have had? that kind of offense and that kind of backing the first four or five games he started whenever they were playing the better teams like the Chargers and the Chiefs. I mean, he, sometimes he had some decent games against. Like He played it pretty well against the Chiefs. Actually, he played his first game against the Chiefs was whenever Freddie Kitchens came in and he had a nice game, but the Chiefs' offense just smoked the Browns' defense and, and that's why they lost. So anyways, yeah. So yeah, that was hilarious that he brought up Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley. And also, I, I, I do want to touch on this. I, I really do think that overall, as a receiving core, last season, the Texans' receiving core is a, was a lot better than the Browns. Like, I mean, not even remotely close. And so, just, just in terms of depth and, and, you know, the amount of, like, quality or decent players they have, the Browns led the entire NFL and dropped passes. Oh, yeah, that's so right. I, yeah, I they mean, had a lot of drops. I mean, he made guys like Rashard Higgins, Baker, like, a, a decent player and uh they, they signed some free agent wide receiver up oh, Rashard Perriman like off the the scrap heap and Perriman caught some touchdowns from Baker Mayfield I mean he made these guys that nobody's ever heard of into like decent role players on the team sure and also I do want to throw out there he he did only play in seven games last season but Will Fuller is still a guy who plays for Houston and in seven games last year he had 500 yards and four touchdowns you average that out over the course of the season. That's like a 1,200-yard season. Uh, so Will, Will Fuller's a good player. Kiki Kuti is a guy that, you know, didn't have a ton of production. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll give him a little leeway. DeAndre Hopkins was, was pretty much their entire receiving core. 115 yeah, catches. Say, uh, but like I said, the best receiver on planet Earth. Yeah. But, hey, he's double all the time, though. He's doubled. It's tough to get to him when he's doubled so much. Uh, which I think is a decent argument. I mean, he does get a lot of attention, and there's nobody else to draw attention away from him. Fine, but here's the difference, though, is that Jar- Jarvis Landry was getting doubled a lot, I'm sure, from Cleveland, because who else was the Browns have to throw to? And Baker was able to figure it out. He was able to get the ball to other players and turn them into decent <laughs> receiving options. So it's just you have to – if someone's – here's the thing. As a quarterback, if your best player is getting doubled a lot – you should be like, all right, well, that means there's going to be multiple other players that are just one-on-one, and we'll be able to get them the ball, and this should be a little, not easier, but manageable still, right? I mean, yeah. your job is to distribute. And not to mention that Deshaun Watson took a, the most sacks in the NFL last year. I think it was like a record number of sacks. And, and I, I, I do want to point It wasn't all out. on the offensive line from yep. some stories I've written. I think, I mean, I was reading this story from like some Texans blog, and this guy went back and watched every single sack 
and he came to the conclusion that at least 20 of them were on Deshaun Watson out of, I think he was sacked 63 times. And he said some of this might not be fair because he counted times whenever there was a coverage sack. He counted that against Watson. You know, there's covered sacks. But sometimes you got to throw the ball away if it's a coverage. I mean, you got to get rid of the football. And Deshaun Watson held on to the ball way too much. Granted, he had really good numbers, though, as we'll get to here in a moment. But uh, uh, you wanted to talk about the, the sacks in the offensive line? Yeah, and th- this is something that I'm very adamant about, especially when it comes to the NFL. A lot of the time in the NFL – Sacks are squarely on the offensive coaching staff a lot of the time and what they're running, what sort of routes the receivers are running. And I just say it because for years I watched Andrew Luck get murdered behind the Colts' offensive line. And a lot of it was because he was taking five and seven step drops and waiting for long routes to develop over the course of the field. I can guarantee you the same is the same is is true to an extent for Deshaun Watson as well. There is a lot. Uh, there's a lot to say about play calls and offensive systems when it comes to pressuring the quarterback in, in, in the NFL. That's just the truth. The truth is, Lee, in the NFL, no one has a lot of time to throw. And you, and you, have, to, yeah. Yeah, you, have, to, you have to design an offense to get the ball out of your quarterback's hands. Watson Period. was sacked 62 times in the regular season, and he played... You know, he played 16 games. Baker was only sacked 25 times. Yeah. It's no, it, it's, it's, I'm just saying it's not a coincidence. And I, and I, I come from this perspective as an Indianapolis Colts fan. So I, I mean, I've seen they, they certainly had the worst offensive line in the league at some points in the last five years. It is not a coincidence that Frank Wright comes completely, uh, redoes their entire offense and the Colts. I mean, just in one season, now everyone's saying they have the best offensive line in the league, but what a lot of people don't say is that um, in the 2018 season, when they gave up the least amount of sacks in the league, they also had the least amount of time between when the ball was snapped and when Andrew Luck got rid of the ball. A little it's, nuance. It's just a little, it's nuance, just a little nuance. That That is a huge deal in the National Football League. And nobody was talking about the Browns having a good offensive line when Terod Taylor was there. They're making excuses for Terod Taylor. Gosh, the Browns offensive line. What's going on here? Baker comes in and all of a sudden things get much better. I saw what a weird coincidence. I I saw seasons when the Colts offensive line was straight up bad and Peyton Manning still was the least sacked quarterback in the league. The quarterback has a lot to do with that, a lot more than you really think. All right, now I've got more of Cowherd's take to play, and because we're fair here, we are. I want to play the part where Cowherd cites some statistics. And frankly, Deshaun Watson has some really good stats. So let's listen to that part of uh, Cowherd's take when he talks about the stats between both Watson and Baker. Let me give you a few numbers. Last year, Deshaun Watson won 11 games. Baker won six. Well, uh, Baker's a very accurate precision passer. Really? Because behind the worst offensive line in the league... Deshaun Watson completed 68% of his throws, Baker 64. Well, 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 but Baker, uh, yards, Deshaun Watson, check. Interceptions, Baker 14, Deshaun 9. And oh, by the way, I'm not even mentioning the fact that one of them won the high jump championship in the ninth grade in Georgia. One of them maybe is the best athlete in the league at quarterback, Deshaun Watson, five rushing touchdowns and 550 yards rushing. So, Grant, back at the very beginning of this, you said that it's completely defensible to say if you want to take Watson over Mayfield, that's fine, but you wouldn't use the line of argument that Coward decided to use off the top. It sounds like here is the proper line of argument. Would you agree? 
yeah, this is this is really the only argument you have, I think, in my which is it's a good argument. That's fine. There's these guys have both played in the NFL against similar teams. One guy has better numbers than the other. That's fair. I think it's fair argument. I like how he, though, when he talks about interceptions, he says, interceptions, Baker 14, Deshaun 9, and the graphic he's showing. Yeah, but Mayfield had more touchdown passes in fewer games. So, we've, I mean, everyone does that. I mean, we're probably doing that, too, with some of the stats that we cite. We're kind of omitting other stats that don't really back our argument. But, I mean, Baker didn't start till week four and threw more touchdowns last year than Deshaun Watson did. So. Also, can I, can I cite some other stats for your consideration as well? <laughs> sure. He says Deshaun Watson check in terms of in terms of passing yards. Sure, over the course of the season, but in terms of passing yards per game, can you guess who had more passing yards per game? <laughs> yeah, something tells me it was Baker Mayfield. Yeah, just just a little bit, just a little. Um, well, I mean, it, it was so Deshaun Watson averaged about 260 yards a game. Baker averaged 266 yards a game. So, so I mean, it's pretty close. Pretty close. Pretty close. I would also love to see, and and I I wish I could have gotten into like some pro football focus for this. Just to see um, uh, how many uh, how many attempts that or how many completions Watson had like behind the line of scrimmage or within five yards of the line of scrimmage, um, which which would certainly inflate his completion percentage. But but also you know I, it's 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 hard to argue against sixty eight percent completion percentage. I mean that's really good. Sure. So it's also hard to argue against his yards per attempt. Which was better than Baker's. I mean, it was eight, yeah, eight point two yards per attempt is great. I mean, that's fantastic in the NFL, and Baker was at seven point seven, which also is 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 pretty darn good for the NFL. So I mean, yeah, I mean Deshaun Watson's a really good player. There's no doubt about that. Did you happen to pull his his other ridiculous line of argument when he pulled up what Deshaun Watson did in college? I did not pull that. I part. really wish you would have, because I I had an entire monologue planned for that. So can you, can you, is this when he was talking about his leadership skills or? No, he was talking about Deshaun Watson and how he won a national championship and also Nick Saban two separate times had four weeks to prepare for Deshaun Watson and couldn't do anything about him both times. And I just, I guess the only thing I can say to that is Colin, man, if Oklahoma had Clemson's defense in 2015, 2016 and 2017, I can guarantee you that they would not be without a national championship right now. In fact, they might have three yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah. Like that, it's just, it's, re- that's, it, yeah, it, it sort of offended me when he brought up the college angle because I just, that Baker Mayfield does not have an equal in the college game. He just does not. And that's the thing too, as you mentioned defense in college, but that's part of the argument that, you know, Colin never touches on. And granted, football is a sport where, yeah, the offense, it's, it's offense and defense, uh, but a big part of the success the Houston's had is because of their defense, because Deshaun Watson's, I mean, he doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes, but when he does, the defense can bail him out, and you look at defense last year, Houston's had the 14th ranked total defense, Cleveland's total defense was 30th in the NFL, and gotta be fair again, we're not a big total defense podcast, so if you want to look at yards per play, which that's what I like to use at, uh, use on this podcast, it's actually pretty similar. Houston was 12th in the NFL in yards per play. Cleveland was 15th in the NFL. So they're pretty close in yards per play. Points allowed, though, Houston allowed about f- almost five fewer points per game than the Browns. Houston was a top five scoring defense last year. Cleveland was ranked number 21. So 
Baker didn't have the benefit of a. I mean, he had a he had an okay defense, whereas Houston's defense was certainly an above average defense, and at sometimes a really good to elite unit defense, and and that definitely helped out Deshaun Watson, I'm sure, in some games where he didn't play as well, and they were able to win. Yeah, and and I do I do just kind of want to throw it out there like this is I I like Deshaun Watson. I think he's I think he's really good. So I don't. I don't want this to turn into a whole. Oh, Grant thinks Deshaun Watson's not any good. That's I. I, I think he's really good. I, I can't believe that he was like the fourth quarterback taken in that draft. He was taken, and it was ridiculous. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I don't know. We 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 like to we like to come to the defense of Baker, and 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 this in this situation, I thought it was quite warranted, just because the line of argument was so ludicrous. <laughs> I mean, if you want to argue it, just just stick with the stick with the stats, man. Don't try to argue that Baker Mayfield had a had a better situation. It's so so ludicrous. Well, and speaking of that, I got one more piece of audio from Coward to play, just kind of summing up everything. And this is essentially his argument. This is kind of the way he ended it. But I just figured this is a way, good way to kind of end this segment. So, uh, as you're kind of making fun of the way he was arguing this this take, this is kind of his his reasoning behind it, or kind of the angle he was taking. Lord, can can we just acknowledge that some people in life grow up with rich parents? Some people grow up with poor parents. It's kind of an advantage. We got to consider what people in life inherit. Where do they come from? Do they have to deal with a chaotic family, uh, a chaotic offensive line, uh, a coach? I mean, NFL Network at this point is just trying to make me mad. I'm convinced that that's the whole game now. So by Cowherd's logic, based on his his argument, Baker being drafted to a team that was one in 31 the previous two seasons with Hugh Jackson as the head coach Baker was the rich kid in this argument going to a a great situation whereas Deshaun Watson was the poor kid going to uh, Bill O'Brien an offensive guy and the Texans team with a pretty good defense and had won the AFC South multiple years. And it like, does, doesn't really track. Not even, not even a team that had won the AFC South for multiple years, but a team that for three or four years, everyone was saying, hey, these guys might have like the best roster in the NFL. They're just a quarterback away. That's the team that Deshaun Watson went to. So just like, I mean, come on. Ugh. And also, he, he totally omits there that it was the players who voted on everything, too. So the, play, oh, he, so the players he talks think Baker's about that, though. better. He, yeah, he he talked about that, though, in the take. I, I didn't play that, but he did acknowledge that, though. It is the players. Uh, and so the last thing and I forgot to say this earlier, but I guess it should be a, a decent thing to kind of somewhat end on is that and you've, we've talked about this. He conveniently forgets to mention that Cleveland was you know literally won one game the past two seasons, which is recent history. OK, but just what about the general history of the Cleveland Browns? Historically, it's been the laughingstock of the NFL. And you touched on that probably about 10 15 minutes ago briefly here's my thing if any of the other first round quarterbacks selected in 2018 sam darnold josh rosen josh allen lamar jackson if any of those guys had been taken by the browns last year and won you know let's say let's say four games with the Browns, went four and 12 with cleveland colin coward would have been praising praising that quarterback left and right Mayfield helped the Browns win seven games, seven in 2018, and didn't even make his first start until week four, and yet that's something that Coward doesn't really bring up. He kind of scoffs at because apparently he had just all this great stuff around him. So 
this is another example of him wanting to be right as opposed to him actually trying to get it right. Fun stuff. Having that been said, all of that, man, I can't wait to watch Kyler Murray play NFL football. <laughs> I am just I am just gobbling up everything from Arizona Cardinals camp. So have I. Yeah. And I, I don't know, man. Reading between the lines, it kind of seems like like everyone on the team thinks he's already the best player on the team. <laughs> <laughs> he's man, so it, good. It's gonna be so fun to watch him. Like I, I I've been saying it since January that the marriage between him and Kingsbury in the NFL is going to work very, very well. Just wait. Just wait, everyone. I mean, there's there's fair asterisk, though, because you got Kingsbury, his lack of experience. He wasn't... I mean, he wasn't really a winning head coach in college. Most of that was because of the defense. That, and then the fact that Murray only has one full year as a starter under his belt. He needs the experience. That's I mean, Those are the asterisks next to me. That's why there's going to be some... Some growing pains, but man, yeah, I, it's hard to, to not see Kyler having some Sundays where he is just making some incredible plays and, and the NFL is trying to kind of catch up to him. I don't know. I just like, how, how can you hear Larry Fitzgerald say, and this is Larry Fitzgerald, this is, this is one, of, one of the three or four best receivers in the history of the game, guy who's been in the league for over 15 years, he's coming in and he's saying, I've never seen a quarterback this young come in and have the command of an offense like this. I mean, this, that's, that's, that's significant. To be fair, though, Larry Fitzgerald's had legitimately one good quarterback his entire career, and that was Kurt Warner and Kurt, for yeah, Kurt a Warner, few seasons. Yeah, Who was really good. Kurt Warner was awesome. But also, Kurt Warner wasn't young whenever he played with Larry Fitzgerald. So, I mean, that was a qualifier there. You don't, a young you, you don't I mean, think, all these other young quarterbacks he's seen have been not very good. You don't think, you don't think Larry Fitzgerald doesn't know what good quarterback play is? He knows. I mean, he's watched it from afar, other teams, and he saw sure. Kurt Warner do it to him for a few seasons, but for the most part, no. He's seen really poor quarterback play in his career. So I think he's going to be excited either way if, if Murray is not just dreadful. So I get what you're saying. I just, in a weird way, a future Hall of Famer, Larry Fitzgerald, uh, it doesn't doesn't mean as much Man, because hope, he just has not he has not personally played with a lot of good quarterbacks. I hope Kingsbury just says screw it and he just goes full Texas Tech with that offense. That would be so entertaining. I really hope he does that. Because you know what's going to be creative. It's going to work. Incredibly creative. It's going to work. I keep bringing it up the entire time, but the New England Patriots in 2007 used the Texas Tech offense and went 16 and 0. I mean, this is not hard, everybody. <laughs> like, come on. I wonder if they're going to be a 30 for 30 on that at some point, especially if the Cardinals offense as well. And somebody's like, oh, people thought Cliff Kingsbury was the first to bring this offense to the NFL. But in reality, it was Bill Belichick reality, and the Patriots in the two, 2007. The 2007 Patriots literally spread everyone around and just threw it up to Randy Moss the entire year and worked with space, which is exactly what Cliff Kingsbury does. I just the the whole the whole oh the college offense won't work in the NFL meme and bit that has been that has been ongoing for the last probably two decades is so freaking obnoxious. It's yeah, I, I was I'm, listening I'm, to, I'm uh, so glad to see that that narrative probably completely and finally die this season because it, it was it's always been obnoxious, just obnoxiously stupid. 
well, this guy obviously is biased, and I don't think he's had any jobs in the NFL, but I was listening to Clay Travis's long-form podcast in the last month when he had Mike Leach on, and of course, he asked Mike Leach about that kind of stuff, and, and Mike Leach made a comment of he thinks some of the, the best coaches in football are actually in the college game right now, not necessarily the NFL, because they're kind of stubborn and they're kind of behind on the times. And he, he even thinks some of the better coaches are actually in the high school game, too just because they're a little more creative and, and they're open to new ideas and things like that. So, Well, on, on, you know, his, on his point about college coaches, pretty similar to what some person on the show has been saying for, I don't know, at least a handful of times the last five or six months. Just saying. <laughs> all right, that'll do it. That was fun times in the Hot Take of the Week segment. By the time we get back to you all next week, fall camp will be underway. Until then... For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.